Hello, welcome to the Optimal Being podcast. I'm so grateful that you have stopped by and this is an extra special episode. I'm so honored to welcome my good friend Diamandia on this podcast. Diamandia was a former creative director for the UFC and after experiencing a life-changing incident, she has now re-emerged as a transformation coach helping her clients face their demons and optimize their life, as well as being a business consultant for various venture capital companies and individuals. She has an amazing story. She's an amazing soul, and I'm so excited for you all to hear it. Diamandia, welcome. Thank you so much. It is such an honor to be here. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thank you. Me too. So we, we met a almost a, a year ago, I think now, and, yeah, and yeah. We, we've, we've been talking and, you know, going back and forth, but how, how have you been doing since, since this lockdown? Um, well, not, not that great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went into the lockdown after doing a lot of deep transformational work. It just happened to align with like a lot of soul searching and, um, a lot of fear facing that I had been doing for the past, for the, you know, six months, actually four years, three or four years before, but really dove really deep six months before. So when we met in LA, I had um, uh, just come back from Peru, which was like a, a really huge catapult of opening up Pandora's box into facing my demons. Um, and then went, you know, went to LA, met you, we did another transformational weekend. Um, and I was just kind of already like pureed, you know, with, I didn't know what, I didn't know what I was, like what was going on, what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And I knew kind of like deep down what I was supposed to be doing. There was definitely like a, a huge calling that I couldn't ignore anymore that I was faced with. And it was like that one of the points of that, uh, that I learned from that trip was I couldn't ignore this anymore. And then I had to step into this space. Um, and then I started getting kind of like really aggressive cause I'm, I'm very aggressive um, business mindset. And so I started treating that like I would any other project. Like I, really tried to like aggressively handle like this calling that I had, which is like not the thing you're supposed to do in any way, shape or form. It was just more like let things flow and uh, lean out of it and let it naturally happen. And I thought I was going to like, you know, going back to my previous mental, you know, previous behavior, um, handle it the same way. And then as I was like fighting this, because I was really fighting it at first because I didn't understand, like I thought I was supposed to be doing more. I just, mm. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out the flow of my own change. And I tried to control that flow and um, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is so true. The, the more you control it, the more it, it just, it just messes with your mind, right? The more oh yeah. It made worse. Yeah. It gets worse. It, you yeah. retract. You actually go backwards instead of going forwards into the space that you're supposed to be. Mm. So I was, I was doing that. I was fighting it, and like I knew I was supposed to be doing it, and I was trying to, but I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't feel like I was owning it because I wasn't trying hard enough, and I wasn't seeing results, and then I was putting all this pressure on myself, and then COVID hit. Okay. 
it was like slow down. <laughs> yeah, COVID hit and then I lost my, I had a full-time job at the time. I was consulting, but also working for a company full-time. I lost my full-time job um, because of layoffs. And I was just kind of like, well, now I have to do this. Mm. Like if this isn't like it being clearly pointed out to me that this is the right path for me, then I don't know what other signs I need. Like the space has been created. Like it was like, oh no, you're not that busy. Here you go. <sighs> and I also, <laughs> I've also been like really un not uncomfortable, but uncomfortable owning that I'm an entrepreneur. Even saying that I'm an entrepreneur makes me uncomfortable, you know, cause that's like, I say I'm a consultant, but it's, I am consulting. I'm an entrepreneur. And, and that was also something I had to own as well because I didn't have a full-time job. So it was like, well, now you're an entrepreneur. Right. So out. It's, it's true. Every, everyone really is an entrepreneur, right? They, everyone really is. Cause you're never full-time working for a company just in the fact that in any moment you can be let go and then you're basically relying on yourself yeah. so you always have to have to at least know how to be okay on your own two feet so valuable life skill i'm sure no doubt you're you're embracing <laughs> yeah and losing that attachment to mm -hmm. a title like that to right being you know a vp or a director you know saying i'm a you know, I am this, but like, really it's, I'm not, I'm, I'm my own entity. I've been my own entity my entire life. I've just mm -hmm. realized I can't attach myself to that external validation of what that presents and kind of getting kicked down like that being like, well, now you have to do it that you've been half ass kind of dipping your toe in the water, but not really going for it. Like, I had to go for it mm. and things just aligned like the relationships I had in Peru I mean James Silvis was one of the was the person who really pushed me to do my first podcast which the first time I was able to tell my story to like an, an audience uh, like the internet <laughs> like right. anyone, you know and yeah. that had been such a massive transformation for me because I hadn't um, been able to talk about it with more than one person until I went to Peru. Peru was the first time I was able to talk about it with people I didn't know in like a group of eight. And that was like the last day I was there and that happened and I realized I wasn't supposed to leave yet. And I ended up staying on that trip a couple extra days because I was like, I'm not done here. Mm. Um, and it kind of like really allowed me to follow my intuition and trust myself fully that's beautiful that's beautiful myself. yeah not for other people like people right. trust me to make them money or market their product or launch their company but this is the time where like i wasn't relying on anybody else's money or anybody else's brand it's mine which is scary as shit yeah <laughs> Well, no doubt. It's super scary because it, it's basically 
going from that disempowered mindset to realizing that you are your own sovereign being. And, and, you know, as you said, it's so easy for us to get attached to titles and all this fancy stuff and accolades and things we, we thought we needed. But the minute that is stripped away, it's like, who are you? What's left? And, and just kind of rebuilding that sovereignty and being like, you know, the fun is in the journey, right? If we were all just amazing and sovereign, like what kind of a world would it be? It would just, that would just be boring. <laughs> that would just be normal. I guess that the fun is actually getting to that level. I had to write down, trust the process mm. every day, probably like 50 times a day. I had mm. to write it down because I was freaking out on every level possible about everything. Like I had come like off of a year where I didn't make as much money as I usually do. So I didn't have that like extra security that I was used to going into a, like a layoff during a pandemic. And then, and it just like, everything kind of was like aligned and I couldn't ignore it. Like I had um, one day where I was, my, that podcast had come out, the first one, and there was an amazing response. And I'm so absolutely grateful for people really taking it and using it as a tool for themselves, which is why I'm doing any of this stuff now is I really understand that this is, I'm a vehicle of change. And I am, what happened uh, had in the past has, so I had a, a trauma occur to me a couple years ago, which has kind of been put me, has put me in this position. And it's that, like that, this whole process of understanding and getting to this point where I'm sitting with you right now is just me being able to help other people. This trauma has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with like my personal being, but I am a vehicle of change to empower others. And I kind of knew that before this happened, I'd always been empowering people in different ways and like leadership roles and um, career positions and even like growth in different ways. But now it's like something I cannot, I can't hide behind. This is who, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And every time I do one of these things, it's, it just keeps reiterating the fact that people can take elements of this and make change in their own life and that's really what it's about truly yeah that's that's amazing and just the just having that awareness and and seeing you know the words you're saying now but and we'll take a step back i guess why don't we we go you know feel free to share as much as, as you want to around around your story and what happened but i think it's necessary for them to really get a full picture of just how how much you've come out of that dark tunnel and now embracing you know everything that that you really knew you were but i guess now you're fully embodying sure um so at the time when this occurred i was working in las vegas i was a creative director for the ufc i was handling their fitness extensions um i lived a very heavy stressful lifestyle i was living a lifestyle that's i think the best way to describe it um i was working 12 to 14 hours a day. I was working out three to four hours a day. I put a lot of pressure on myself uh, to deliver for this, this position, for this company. And I was put under a lot of pressure to deliver for this company, but I'm in no way, shape or form gonna say that the company did this. I contributed equal, if not more, um, because I took a lot of ownership into what that role meant, you know, as the first venture capital extension of this massive company. And this was before the 
this is four years ago. So this is before they sold to IMG and then ESPN plus. So it was like that pivotal point and this was a massive impact and this was the fitness brand for the ultimate fighting champions. Like I, and I was supposed to be representing that, that equated that. So I took it as not only had I have to do that in my professional performance, but I has to, I had to look like I had, that I was like walking the walk. I had to look the part and I just tried to perform constantly. And it was, there was a lot of moving parts. I had four presidents to report to at times. It was a venture capital, you know, it's, it's always very, like a variable. There's a lot of working, like movement at the beginning. There's a lot of figuring things out, but I just tried to take it all on. And I was just not eating and over-exercising and working myself to the bone. And then like trying to, and like trying to also have some slice of a life, but that really didn't happen because I was so overwhelmed with work and like my own personal performance. And at this time, I, I took a, I took some trips. I went away for a little while because I had gotten really sick and I kept getting really sick. I have all these random weird health issues that kept popping up and I kept ignoring them and I kept trying to push through them. And I kept like doing dumb things like running 150 flights of stairs before going to a workout. You know, like I would just, I just thought I was superhuman and my physical body was telling me to pump the brakes, but I was not listening. Not only was I not listening, I was pushing harder. So this is like the sixth time I had gotten really sick and like I'm like MRSA, like stuff like that just doesn't happen on the regular. Like, kidney infections. I probably had like 12, but they couldn't find anything wrong with me. So I was like, Oh, I just have a kidney infection. So I'll just take this meds or I just have this, you know, I just have MRSA. So I'll take meds. And then it, for me, I wasn't looking at my body as a system. I was looking at that as like something was broken and I just took a pill and I need to fix it. Instead of realizing that like my body was screaming at me to cut the shit and to take a break and to calm my mind. And I wasn't doing that. You know, I was sleeping three to four hours a night. If not, I was falling asleep in my clothes, like in my workout clothes, like on the couch with like my bag in my hand, like exhausted. So I decided to take some time and I went away on vacation, some vacations. And I went to the Bahamas um, for Christmas with my boyfriend at the time. And he was somebody I'd known since high school. So we'd known each other like 15 years. Um, I knew his brother his mother was like my bus driver. Like I knew his whole family. I knew who he was growing up. So it was a very comfortable relationship. And I thought it was a very open relationship or I wouldn't honestly have even entertained anything like this because I didn't have the time to actually really get to know anyone because going into something that I already knew that person, it took a lot of pressure off and I didn't have time for that pressure. So this was like worked for me, you know? And it sounds really awful to say that like that, but it was, that's the truth. Like it didn't, didn't have the emotional bandwidth and I didn't have the emotional capacity or acknowledge how to be emotionally available like that at the time. Makes sense. So we went away for Christmas and we were Christmas day. We got engaged. He proposed to me on the beach in like Santa hats and 
bikinis. I was, I mean, who hasn't wear any bikini, but um, we stayed with friends. It was really adorable. And it was a beautiful day. And we had dinner on the beach later that evening and we got into an argument. And I was really taken aback by the fact that we were arguing at the time. Like, I was just like, what, how? We're sitting like literally on the beach having dinner like in the Bahamas on Christmas and we just got engaged and I was like what is fucking going on here like how are we arguing what is there to argue about you know we're supposedly starting like this chapter of our lives it's like this is supposed to be the happiest day of our lives you know and I was like I need to take a break and like go to the bathroom and like you need to cool off and I need to like clear my head a little bit and I'll just come back and we can talk about this like rational humans he had been drinking heavily all day long in the sun. I don't think he was of right mind in that capacity. And we were drinking champagne at dinner. So I didn't really think about the alcohol so much because it was just so slowly throughout the day, but being in the sun and I think that was a massive like issue that I didn't recognize. And I came back from going to the bathroom and he wasn't at the table. Um, and I saw him walking across the pool up to our room. And I was like, this is super fucked up that he like left me at dinner and what was going on. And I, I like just sat there for a minute and was like, I'm going to give him like five minutes to like cool off. And like these two points, me seeing him walk across the pool and like me taking five minutes to cool off is something that I can't, it took me a really long time to forgive myself for. So I um, go up to the room to, to go in to talk to him and the door was locked from the inside. And I went down to the front desk a couple times. They tried to get them to give me a new key. The keys didn't work. Then I like went back. It was like this 45 minute back and forth with fucking front door not opening and we couldn't open the door the staff came and they tried to open it and they ended up hoisting me up the side of the a building to go through the patio of the suite and i found his body hanging there from the post of the bed and he had hung himself with the sheets from the, our bed and i um opened the door and lost my shit and I tried to resuscitate him and perform some CPR. And I remember just screaming at the top of my lungs and no one would help me. Like the people, the staff there was just, they were like frozen. It was like they were just frozen and they didn't react in any way, shape or form. And it was because they were, he was purple, you know, like it was over and I wasn't, accepting the fact that he was he had passed and I finally got him you know out of the noose and like did everything that I had to do to like get him attempt to get him back but it didn't work and the police showed up eventually and I was asked to like I was removed from the room and put out on the patio with some police people and this woman who I did never met. I remember calling my best friend and my mom 
And then I just told him that he killed himself and then I just hung up the phone. And it was like, right when I did that, it was like my mind had erased everything that just happened. It was like right at that moment after I like acknowledged that call and hung up the phone, it was like it was gone. And I had no idea what was going on. And I just remember like screaming at various points and trying to, I went back in that room and I tried to like get my, my computer and the cops had taken my computer and I was like, it's my shit. And they were like, this is evidence. I'm like, this is a, my computer that was in my, that was in my suitcase. This was packed stuff. Like, why are you going through my suitcase taking my computer? This isn't evidence, you're stealing. And then like, I was forced to change clothes, but I couldn't understand it. When I walked in the room after I like, tried to get that computer back from the cops, which they eventually just gave me because they were like, oh, you caught me stealing. It was like, everyone started talking like the mom from the Muppet Babies. Like it was just like wah, 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 wah. And everyone seemed really far away from me. And they sounded like horns to me. And I couldn't understand anything anybody was saying. And I just like started to realize that I wasn't in control of my body or my mind anymore. And I couldn't, I couldn't process what was happening. There was no reaction from me in any way, shape, or form from anybody at all. Because I didn't understand that I was being t spoken to. And this woman kept telling me that I had to take the dress, I had a dress on. She kept saying to me, you have to take the dress on. And now Doug's body has been completely removed from the room and there's a chalk, there's an outline on the floor. So I haven't, I don't have any association to the like, what has occurred, like visually. So, I'm like, I don't need to take my clothes off. You know, like I didn't, and they kept saying, you have to take your, your dress off. Mm. And then I was, I just stood there like, like I was shell shocked. Like I didn't, it didn't register that I needed to like move into another space possibly. But instead of, of helping me, the woman just unzipped my dress and Put, took it off of me in front of like 11 other human beings and I was standing there naked and then I she put a hoodie on me and, and handed me some sweatpants and then they took me down to the, the police department and I sat in the police department like losing my fucking mind and I think I was there like seven hours because it was light out when we left and I was interrogated and I left a statement and I didn't get what I was doing there. They just kept asking me questions about what happened that day. And I was like, like, wh why, are you, why are you trying to take my things? And why are you asking me all these questions? And why are you asking me about like my boyfriend? Like I just, and I kept asking this woman who was with me, who saved me from so many things. She kept holding my hand and being like, you need to start, you need to talk to God and you need to have faith. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like faith about what? Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And I kept asking for Doug. I kept asking for him because I, 
I needed his help. I knew something was really wrong and I needed his help. And she just never would answer me. And I would say things like, can you just tell him I really need him because it's really important. Something really bad has happened. And she would just say like, you need to believe, you need to have faith in God. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I, and I would go through a couple minutes of having like, like this misunderstanding and then I'd be in hysteria. And I went back to the hotel and I like literally lost, when I walked by, we had to walk by that corridor of space. I knew something really bad happened up there. I knew something really bad happened and I started screaming and I started running and I started running through the bushes and they like had to pull me out of the bushes and I was clawing my way through the mulch of this resort trying to like escape because I knew something bad happened up there and I didn't know what it was. And they put me in a different, in a different like space in the, in the hotel. And this woman laid with me and she stayed with me and she ended up like bathing me. And I like ripped all my fingernails off like one by one by one. And they like, wouldn't let me, touch anything like utilities like I couldn't use a fork not that I was eating anything but like I needed a nail file and they wouldn't give it to me and she just kept telling me to like believe in God and believe in God and I was like I don't know what you're talking about I just need duck here now like I just need him to help me because something bad's happened and I can't do this by myself like I can't do this this sucks and I didn't know what this was like I didn't understand what I was going through at all I had no real recollection of what had occurred and I for some reason like the next morning well it was the next morning like I I don't know why this popped into my brain but I was a U.S. citizen and I was not in the United States of America and I just said I want I need to talk to the U.S. Embassy and I have no idea how I knew to say that in any way shape or form because Never have I been in a situation where I, that even would have been in my brain. But I really think that like watching a lot of like CSI shit, it's like really beneficial for humans sometimes. <laughs> um, and as soon as I said those words, like everybody's tune changed. There was an agent there within an hour. I had a flight home back to the United States. All of my things mysteriously showed up. I was taken care of. There were no more questions. I was no longer being interrogated because I had been interrogated and they were trying to blame me for the suicide. It's not even a question. Trying to get me to admit to something that had to do with the ability for them to like blame this suicide on me. And I like just for some reason knew not, that wasn't the truth, but I knew that I shouldn't, that was what was happening. I was being framed or not framed, but like there asking leading questions to like push me into answer them to admit guilt in some way, shape or form. And I was like, no, we got into an argument and I untied his like untied him from a noose. Like I was across the pool. Like, and also what the fuck this is like my future. This is like the happiest day of my life. And I, I was just so, I was just so like fucking like not okay and also like really angry the fact that this was how people were trying to like frame this and I came back to the United States and I at the time I lived in Las Vegas and 
I couldn't go back to Las Vegas. I knew that whatever was going on, I couldn't be by myself. For some reason, um, my, I own an investment property in Providence and I left one of the units open and I own it with my ex-boyfriend and we're great friends. And he happened to live in North Dakota when I was living in Las Vegas. And we were just like, let's just leave one of those units available in case something happens and we need to move home, just in case. So he happened to move back to Rhode Island a week before Christmas, just happened to. And he just got there and like still living out of bags and stuff. And I called him and I was like, I need, I need to come, I need you to take care of me, essentially. And I told him what happened and I flew home to the East Coast and he picked me up from JFK and drove me home. And I was like, I don't even know what the fuck is going on right now. Like my stuff, my apartment's in Las Vegas. My dogs are in Las Vegas. I'm in Rhode Island with like, I'm not even a real person anymore. I'm like a shell and I have no ability to handle my own mental state. I knew that I needed to get my dogs. I needed to can't like get rid of my apartment immediately, cancel that, that lease, get out of it, and somehow get my things across the country. And I also like didn't have any money. Um, at the time of this suicide, my assets were in um, all, of, all of my assets that I'd ever like made my entire life were transferred to Doug's name um, as a protection for myself for something else. And my attorney told me to do that. And he was like, it's just a precautionary thing for the next couple of months and you'll take the hit. But if you get in trouble, like basically, basically the IRS lost five years of my taxes and we had to rebuild everything. And he said as a protectionary warning, he wanted me to just transfer assets in Doug's name just in case something happened they couldn't go after me for the full amount of money that I had earned. So, which totally makes sense at the time. I was still like not knowing that this was going to occur. I would do that. But um, Doug's divorce wasn't final. So it was supposed to be final on September, on January 27th. And so when he uh, passed away, all of my um, assets became part of his estate, which his ex-wife or wife was now the executor of. and um blame me for his suicide so i needed to figure out how to not even handle that i just had to survive at this point i didn't even care about that i was just like i just need to like live and i'll deal with that later but i like for the first time in, in since i was like 15 i didn't have any money i didn't have a car because my we sold my car because we were going to be traveling for two months so what was the point Definitely took a leave of absence with the UFC that like paused that situation, but I still didn't have, I had like two grand in my, to my name and I lived across the country and I had no idea what I was going to do because I had no like resources. I hadn't, I wasn't me anymore. I was just like a, like a shell of a human that was having a, a really intense post-traumatic stress disorder episode and it just started a day ago and I I had no idea what I was going to do at all like I didn't know how to handle any of this 
And I knew that I had to get my stuff. I needed to get my dogs. I needed to get to a therapist's office and, and I needed to find an attorney. All of those things had to happen like immediately. Next day after we landed, after I came home, I cried for 12 hours. I, my best friend came over and we just cried and I was like, you need to, I need you to deal with this. Like, I need you to get my things here. I need you to cancel my lease. I'll go get my dogs and I'll find an attorney and a therapist. But like, I need you to deal with my like stuff. So that part was handled. We drove out to Las Vegas. I got my dogs. I, on the ride out there, we drove straight through and um, I became extremely suicidal. I realized that I like couldn't do this and I couldn't. I couldn't deal with this pain anymore. And for the first time in my life, I didn't want to. And I am a fucking fighter. Like, I have a very, very strong trauma background, which I realized doing the work after all this stuff that that's really a pattern in my childhood was, was trauma. And this event broke me to the point where I couldn't, not that I couldn't, I didn't want to fight anymore. I didn't think I was worthy of it. I didn't think that I had the ability to. I couldn't, um, I couldn't handle the amount of pain that I was in and the amount of pain that I was, it was constant. Like, it was so intense that PTSD is something that is not talked about enough, but I was in a state of, I mean, they say flashbacks. Like I had a flashback all day, every day. I didn't sleep for four months straight. Um, there was like, the best way I can describe it was I was, no matter what I was doing, if I was sitting or if I was talking to you or if I was like engaging, I wasn't really engaging with anyone. I was like catatonic for two months, but it was like there was a plasma screen that was in front of my eyeballs, but I can see through it kind of. And so I could see other people, but the screen was always playing this event. It was always playing the suicide event. It was always playing me like acting out the space. And it was, and it was from my perspective over my own shoulder. And I had always been like six inches to my right on my right shoulder, watching myself, watching this happen, watching me engage. And it would just be on repeat. And it was repeated all day and all night long. And it's the only thing I saw. And my body was in a constant state of fight or flight. And I couldn't run away from it. And I couldn't, I couldn't do anything because this thing was, had taken over me. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't be me. I didn't know who I was anymore. I like, everything that defined me as a human being up to this point in my life was gone. My career, my title, my, my assets, all the money I busted my ass for, my fiance, my future. This is the highest high that you have in your life, you know, this moment. And I had waited a really long time to make the decision to do something like this. And I like, it was taken away from me in 12 hours. And I couldn't control anything that was going on in my mind or in my body. 
And I control those two things, all of those things, my entire life with such fierce strength. And now I couldn't. And I would try to run. And I would try, I would run like 12 miles a day. And my body started falling apart. I would, I went through these massive cortisol flushes, which it, when your body responds to fight or flight, you get inflamed with cortisol, especially women. And it usually happens in your lower abdomen, the inner thighs and like upper arms and sides of your breasts. And I was going through massive extreme amounts of cortisol flushes and then muscle wasting where my body would just eat all of its own muscle. So I would go to sleep and I would be like, at this time I was like 14% body fat. And I would go to sleep at like 128 pounds and I would wake up at like 106. And I would look like Skeletor and it would happen overnight. And, and Jean is probably like one of the few people that can say that he was horrified by seeing me every morning because I would, and this would go the opposite way. I would go to sleep 130 pounds and I would wake up like 145 and it was all cortisol and inflammation. It was like, it looked like I had been laying in bed with a water hose in my mouth all night. And it was just, my body was just freaking out because I was so fucking tightly wound already. I was so tightly wound. I was like, just so spun that like this was the match in the powder keg. And my body had been telling me for years to slow down and to take breaks. And I was pushing through it and pushing through it. And then this happened and it was like, you're stopping. And then I, I got shingles for the first time then. And I had imposter syndrome. I couldn't do anything I was that I could do before, or I thought I couldn't. I couldn't, I had no self-worth at all. Like that was completely ripped away. I don't think that my entire life, I had really self-worth 100%. I think I was seeking for validation for certain things and that was my self-worth and that was what was driving me to like do more and do better was my, my need to be seen and my need to seek approval and seek love. And all of a sudden, like, I couldn't be who I was anymore. I couldn't be the person I created myself to be. And I couldn't leave, you know, I've been traveling so much. I was on a plane like every other week for years and I had to sit still for the first time in a long time. I had to sit still and I had to face my fears and I had to face my demons and I couldn't travel. I didn't have a car. I couldn't go. I couldn't run away. I couldn't make myself busy. You know, we're too busy is such an excuse for us not to deal with the things that we don't want to deal with, whether it's relationships, whether it's our own demons, whatever that is, I'm too busy is too much of an excuse. It's, I'm not making this a priority in my life is, is should be the statement. And I had made this a priority in my life for at all. And I had some serious things that I had been ignoring and they all had to come to head at this point in time for me to handle them. And I went to therapy every fucking day and it was the only thing that kept me alive.
for a while. And I am not the type of person who would ever consider suicide. Like I, I didn't ever act on this in any way, shape or form, but it was in my brain as an option. And just that enough, just that thought in my head was enough to make me understand the severity of what was going on. And then I had to deal with my shit. Thank you for, for sharing that every, I've, I've, I've heard the story, you know, I think two or three times, every time I hear it, it just always, always brings me to tears, almost collapses me and I can't even fathom what it w- was like for you. I think there's a phrase because I, I work with people who have gone through severe trauma and, and the only phrase that comes up is God gives his hardest battle to his strongest soldiers, which of course you, you are and everything does happen for a reason. But how, how, how did you find the light at the end of, end of that tunnel? Or are you, are you still searching for it? I definitely found it. I mean, it comes and goes. Not a lot, but it was very, something happened when I was in therapy. And I, like immediately, it was like the first week where I really understood that I had a decision I had to make inside myself. And that decision was, am I going to let this define me as a person? Or am I going to let this empower me? Wow. In the first week. Yeah. I, I knew, I knew where I was and it wasn't good. Mm. Like I knew where I was. I knew this was, this was bad. And I knew, I mean, I have trauma background and I don't have, I also have like not the greatest family life, you know? So I had seen events like this and I, like I have a brother who overdosed, you know, and I've seen things destroy people and change people and, and people become consumed by, by this stuff. And I knew that I couldn't let this be the crutch or my label or something that I used as an excuse. I couldn't do it. It's not who I was and it's not who I ever will be. That's amazing. It's, it, it almost sounds like, I don't know if you, do, if you know about soul contracts and soul journeys and all this kind of stuff, but it, it sounds like you had the task of, of transforming all of your family's dark trauma into that, you know, whatever journey you're on now. Just the fact that you honored whatever was coming up and you were like, however hard it gets, I'm the one that's going to flip this around. I'm one, the one that's going to allow this to empower me. But above all, I'm going to turn this into light, right? Because this could break so many people, right? And, and just the fact that you're here today talking about it and come out of the other side and saying these things just shows the light that you are. So that's phenomenal. And how was the so therapy helped? What, what else did you use to, to give you a breakthrough? I mean, every tool that there is. I, and I was very resistant to every single tool that I used. Like, I mean, I went into therapy and I was like, how long do I have to do this? Am I going to be done with this in like three weeks? Like, that's how I, yeah, that's how I was programmed. You know, I was like, okay, so like, what do we got? Like three weeks? Like, I'm good. I'll be fine. I'll be back to normal. Where I thought I was trying to go back to normal when I was, I'm never going to be that person again. Thank God. You know, thank God that this happened. And I can say that being four years out of it in the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life and hopefully the worst pain I'll ever feel. But I am a different human being because of this trauma and I am grateful as fuck for the person that I am because of it. And I am glad. 
And it takes a lot to say something like that because I have blamed myself for every element and every minute going up to that occurrence happening. I blame myself for it. I blame myself for everything. And I can say that none of it was my fault and that I'm a better person because this happened. That's spectacular. Really, it's, it's, I think the key there is, is allowing, stepping into your power, stepping into your sovereignty and understanding that whatever hurdles life throws at you, you still have the ability to choose how you want to react to it and how you want to be on the other side of it. And just having that knowledge that, you know, you're like, this is not going to fucking define me at all. If anything, this is just going to step me more into my purpose. And even just the fact that you knew beforehand that you were not in a good place mentally, I guess, because you were, you know, overworking, overexercising, doing all of these things. And sometimes, man, when life wanna hit, wants to hit you, it will slap you right in the face, right? It will bring you right down to earth and be like, no, this is what you came here to do. This is the person that you actually came here to be. So you need to stop pretending you are this person and really step into that. It's obviously woken you up to your purpose because I can see that. And, and how is that manifested? What, what do you see now as your purpose? Doing this, empowering people to face their fears and do the deep, shitty, awful work that they need to do to become the people that they're meant to be instead of hiding behind that, like they're whatever it is that they're shoving between that space. And now it's so much more clear to me that this is what I'm here to do. And if we can start talking about stuff like this and having conversations that aren't so uncomfortable and this is always going to be uncomfortable and i'm like i'm this is probably my sixth podcast now and like i don't like talking about this like it's i cry every time you know like i'm never not gonna cry this is not fun, fun for me to do but i know that someone else is going to hear this and they are going to do something that they need to do to make themselves better and like if we can just start these conversations if we can talk about the hard stuff then it doesn't become as heavy. And you start realizing that everyone's got their shit and we're all fucked up Mm. in some way and it's beautiful. And all of these imperfections and all of these scars that are what we are makes us even more beautiful. Truly, yeah, that's, that's, that's the human experience, right? As in, for how long have we been told to strive for perfection? And, you know, with our generation as well, with this social media and all this, this fake lives and fake people we're following, and it's just like disconnected from who we are and disconnected from our emotions, not being able to express ourselves and not being able to be vulnerable and have these tough conversations and be able to cry in front of each other, you know, be able to say this was hard, be able to say that I went through this and I'm still here, right? And that's just remarkable. And and I think for me, I had that, the mindset shift of, you know, like, it's really uncomfortable for me to put myself out there, right? Like just as a general thing, I'm very low key. I'm, I'm quite a shy guy. I'm quite introverted. But um, I remember I was posting back in the day and I was like, why am I doing this? Like, why do I keep posting all this stuff? And I remember one person reached out to me and this was after like four or five months posting every single day, just motivational stuff. And he goes, I really needed to hear that. Right. And it's just like, that's it. If even if we just help one person, it's as though you've helped all of humanity because we are all one. I'm completely with you on that. So tell me about your trip in Peru. How was that incredibly healing for you, or did you have to go and face your demons properly there? I had to go face my demons properly there, and I. It was also very healing. And Peru was something that 
my friend, it's my friend Brandon's retreat and he had been trying to get me to go. He was someone that was very instrumental in my healing immediately. Uh, he's a very inspirational person and I can't say or emphasize that enough. Like you talk to him and you think you can conquer the world and he empowers people to like raise their vibration and really embodies that. And I'm so grateful for him. Um, but he had put, puts these on every year and had been trying to get me to go for a couple years. And, you know, at first I was with the UFC and I was like, I can't get it. I can't shut off for two weeks. You know, like that's, I can't even shut off for like a day. And then when the trauma happened, he was like, you know, you should really think about it. You know, plant medicine might be really helpful for you. And I was like, I am plant medicine right now. Be like, I can't do that. Like I am a disaster. Like I, and he was like, it's not, I'm like, maybe next year. And I just kept pushing back on it. And then last year I was like, I'm ready. It was just like, I knew I was ready because I had already, I pushed through so much therapy and so much work. And I had been doing the things I was journal. I was doing all of the things and I've been doing all the things, you know, and meditation journaling. And I struggle with meditation so much. We've talked about this in the past about my um, the consistency of my meditation yeah, <laughs> and just, you know, doing, reading the books I needed to read, getting like going further in my therapy where, you know, that we were talking about trauma immediately when I started going. And then my therapist would bring up to me like, well, tell me about your parents. And I would be like, really like, what the fuck are you talking about? My parents? Like we have this massive elephant in the room. We have this massive like suicide that I'm trying to work through. And you want to talk about mommy and daddy. And I remember being really pissed off at her being like, what the fuck? Like, can't we just handle this problem? And she, and I finally eventually was like, what is this about? And she was like, you don't realize yet, but like, this is why the suicide happened. And I was like, nope, I don't realize it yet. And I just like left it, but I was angry and she was 100% correct. But anyways, so I had been going through all of that and, you know, I started to really dive deep into childhood stuff and like patterns of my own behavior, patterns of my own, you know, self-destructive behavior, you know, pushing people away, really shutting my heart down, not allowing love in, not making myself emotionally available for love, um, dealing with abandonment, shit, just all the things I had just shoved out of my life. And I had become this really protected, guarded person that would not let anyone in closer than like very far away. I would maintain like romantic relationships, but no one was actually getting in. And then I would just, they would self-sabotage. I would self-sabotage them. So I had been going and working through all this stuff and kind of seeing my own shit and seeing my own, like my demons that I really needed to start handling. And then Peru, Brandon was like, it's, Peru and I'm like I'm in like no questions and I just knew like immediately that this was the right decision for me to let go of whatever else I was holding on to and whatever else I was letting get in the way and what other excuses I was coming up with for like not not doing what I needed to do I knew that something was there and I wasn't I wasn't seeking it it wasn't like a a yearning like I need to it was like I just knew this was the right decision when we got there and, and I brought you know I convinced one other person to come um and I completely blindsided her with the experience but it was really good for her um 
everyone there was kind of in the same position where I knew all of the, the tools that I had been using in my entire life were great. They got me in this great place in my life, my career, like all these things I accomplished. I mean, I was working, like I, I had, I accomplished some really amazing things, but those tools were no longer serving me anymore. And I was doing all of that stuff for things that I had to heal. Like I created myself, I created this person that was great, but also is, was manifested from lack. Hmm. And I wasn't coming from an abundance mindset. I was coming from a scarcity mindset due to abandonment issues. Hmm. And I forced myself to level up and do more and be the, and do this and be this person and be this title and make this amount of money. And if I only did this, if I only made this money, if I got into this school, if I, you know, I was doing X, Y, and Z, then like maybe my parents might give a shit, you know, maybe they'd be proud of me. And I didn't realize that I was never thinking like, Oh, I'm doing this because I need, you know, love, but I was, I was doing it because I had a lack of it and I was seeking it seeking to fill that void with all these other things to give myself that validation that I never had because I didn't have like the self-worth that I really thought I had, but I really deep down, if you go like deep, deep into it, it's lack. And so I knew that I had to like change that part, but I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know who I was anymore because I, I didn't have a career again. I didn't have like all this money that I had. I didn't have this lifestyle. And I was, I'd started rebuilding that. And I wasn't sure like, the type of person I wanted to be. And I really needed to figure that out. And I was very fortunate with this, that I was wiped completely clean. Not fortunate at the time. I didn't think this was a blessing by any means. I was really pissed and upset and a lot of other emotions. But I was able to sit and figure out how I want the type of person I wanted to become like from the inside out. This was no longer about the externals, the external validation, my physical body, like everything now. Yes. I want all of those things, but I want that from the inside out and I want to lead with service and it's very intentional how I want to show up in this world. And because I was kicked in the teeth so hard, and knocked to the ground and I had to burn in that fire, I had that ability to come out of it the way that I wanted to now. And Peru took wherever I was at that point in time, which was almost there, it was, I was almost there. It wiped me to the bottom of this pile of ashes that I was laying in and it really forced me to rise through it. I mean, I was with, some of the most amazing human beings I'd ever met that I was, I'm so grateful to even have these people to call. Like they would never be in my network. They're like my family now. And they've seen me. I mean, we've seen all of us. We were all leveled in Peru, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And it was with intention. I mean, Brandon's it's a war. It's called warrior retreats because he puts you in that state where you're about to break and you he like spreads that out so that you can stay in that stretch physically, mentally, and emotionally. The lessons I couldn't ignore because I had no, I had no power to ignore anything. I was like, I was physically, mentally, emotionally completely wiped out. I had to surrender. 
And like that surrendering was a lesson of Peru. That's a huge one. Surrender has definitely been my word for the year, for sure. Diamante, you literally remind me of a phoenix. I swear to God, like I'm just seeing you and I'm seeing like a phoenix. I'm like, when you said ashes, I'm like, yeah, that's that's something to do with her. Pressure definitely creates Diamandia, I should say. <laughs> you hit on so many game-changing points there. Just the fact that so I think everyone, everyone at the start is creating... It's like you have two lives, right? Like the first life is created from a lack mindset. It's created from all of those unhealed traumas, unhealed wounds, and you're trying to fulfill all of these external goals just to feel internally whole on some level. And then what happens is life comes and levels you down. Whether you have a go through a trauma, whether you go through a life changing car accident, whether you get an illness, something happens to you where you're leveled and that's when you really go internally and you start, as you said, facing your demons and you start realizing, man, there's a whole lot of shit that I have not even recognized. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I need to deal with. I can no longer um, keep putting that there. And, and the fact is, if you keep shoving it further and further down, life is just going to keep on coming back at you until, you until you face it. But only when you face it, it's almost like you're liberated, right? Because you're now free from all of those, I guess that previous conditioning, which you didn't even know you were under. It's like a hypnosis almost. It's like a spell. You didn't even know you were under the spell. And now you're conscious, you're aware, you can actually create a life, as you said, from that internal out. And there's nothing wrong with having nice things in the world, but having them for the wrong reasons, that's the wrong, wrong thing, right? Yeah, they don't define you as a person. Yes, they're great if you can afford them. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful for you. But you don't need those to make yourself think that you're a better person yeah. or, or provide you with some validity of like stature or, you know, class. Like you don't, that's not, that's external validation. You need to work on whatever's going on inside yourself. But mm-hmm. like, I think everyone needs to go to Peru. <laughs> And it was, it was ayahuasca that you did, right? I did ayahuasca, but that was, I did ayahuasca and I also did San Pedro, which mm-hmm. was a uh, cactus. Mm-hmm. And I am not somebody who, like I did mushrooms in college, but that was like 15 years ago. You know, not that I want to admit that out loud, but um, <laughs> that's a while back. So yeah. I wasn't like, I'm not the type of person who was like, this is part of like my normal or like I, I don't experiment with psychedelics like this I'm now very open to do it but I even still like not this is not part of like my normal stuff so it was kind of like I was really uncomfortable with the idea of not being in control of the situation and I'm I was faced with all of my demons and I asked for it so like ayahuasca is based on your intention mm-hmm. and we did a lot of work working up to this trip about our intention and what we wanted to get out of this and how, you know, what we were looking to do and really drilled down on that and then spent the entire day. We were in the Amazon jungle for the first seven days without, you know, internet or phones or anything. So we were very much locked out of, of the normal matrix of the world. That alone was very shifting to not be so having to connect, having to force connection without any kind of external like thing to push you off your path was very interesting for me because I was so used to pushing people away. And now I was forced to sit and be present and really be present, like solely be present and having like solely conversations with people about like everything. 
in anything, you know, and watching people kind of unpeel the layers off slowly, you know, as it, we went into the jungles as strangers and we left as family and doing the ayahuasca ceremony, like that was the, it was in the dark. So that is the most vulnerable, vulnerable I've ever been with any human beings ever. And it was in the dark, thank God. With what I asked for, I asked to heal my trauma. I asked to be shown the path. I asked for three things and I asked for, um, to heal my path, to heal my trauma. And there was one other thing. Oh, fill myself with love and light. And I was served all of them, like on a silver platter and then with a sledgehammer. Um, in, and it was very much in order of how I asked. It was fill myself with love and light first. Okay. And then it was heal myself of the trauma. Mm-hmm. And then it was show me the path. And the downloads that I got for the first two were very clear and precise during the ceremony. They were very much very clear to me but the show me the path was it was visually clear in a way but i didn't really click and download until june like things started making sense but like june was like oh yeah you would show the path Mm. like how many many months after after the ceremony was that six yeah because a lot of people um they forget that so much of the healing is done in the integration time after that. And even with the work that I do, like I still have clients that I worked with last year who are just like, dude, that session that we did, I'm still integrating it because it's, they call it plant medicine for a reason, right? This is not recreational stuff. This is deep medicine. And, yeah. uh, and, and what was amazing is you honored the calling of it, right? Because you have to be called to do this stuff and you have to be ready to do this stuff. This, if you're not ready, like, from just what I've never experienced it, but just from what I've heard and I've worked with people who have gone through ayahuasca like 50, 60 times because they still don't want to face their stuff. But just the fact that you have to be fully ready and when you're fully ready, I guess it, it gives you what you want and need. It gives you what you need. It gives you, it might not give you what you want mm. and it gives you what you need and sometimes you don't realize it until much later. Yeah. And the two things that people kept saying to me over and over and over again before the experience was surrender. Mm. And I'm like, even that makes me like, I don't do that well. (laughs) And that's why they were like, you have, you of all people have to the most surrender and also be ready to receive. And another thing I can't do well either was the two things I'm terrible at receiving a compliment alone i was terrible at that but now i had to receive these downloads and i had to receive and i had to surrender to them or i was going down and i knew it was going to get ugly and hairy if i tried to push back and i had both a very wonderful light loving experience and also an extremely dark traumatic painful part of the experience and that switch flipped for me at one moment in time when i questioned my own self-worth I was full of like, it was like love and light and beams of, of value coming into me from the sky, coming into my body and I'm receiving it. And then the moment that I questioned, I had someone to my right who was not doing well. Like, and in ayahuasca journeys, they explain to you that like, it's your own personal journey. And you, if someone's 
not doing well, like purging or whatever else is going on, you send them the love from your own space, but you do not stop. This is about your own journey and that's it. And you send love, but you are done. Like it's very hard for me to not help people. Very hard. And I put a lot of my own value on being supportive on others. So this is really difficult for me to do. And I kept seeing it. And now this person I could touch and he is struggling. And I mean like struggling. I couldn't, I, I was like, no, you've got to stay in your own space here. And as soon as I thought, it was like two hours in, it was like, as soon as I thought to myself, who the fuck do you think you are? Soon as I thought that to myself for not helping him, it went black. I went dark just like that. As soon as the lack of, of value, as soon as I questioned myself worth, I went down that rabbit hole and I did not come out. And it was really ugly. But that goes to show you exactly what I needed to learn. Once that darkness happened, I was faced with all of my demons. And I physically, I mean, I had some hallucinations about um, this person that was going through a hard space turning into animals, animals charging at me. But me acknowledging the fact that this was my own ego. And he turned into four animals. The last one was a dragon. And this dragon was flying into this. We were inside of a hut. It was flying into this hut. And now in my brain, the hut had expanded out. And it was like charging at me. But I was so still and not like, I'm not concerned about it. Because I was like, you're not real. You're my ego. You have no power over me. And the dragon just sat down next to me. And it was like, it was kind of like, you want to be like friends? (laughs) we're going to be cool now. Like, and I was like, you're my demon. And he was like, that's fine. One thing that my therapist kept, like we kept reiterating, she would say to me, there's some dragons that you can slay. And there's other dragons that you're going to have to learn to coexist with. Yeah. Mic drop. Let's leave it there. (laughs) That's, that's massive. That that reminds me of, um, example, if a a client has got nightmares and what have you, and what what they say about nightmares is the minute you turn around and face whatever that demon is, it loses its power over you. And, you know, just being able to to talk with it, you get inside about your life because it's just our perception that they're a demon, really. They're just, they're there to show us our light, which is, which is awesome. And that that surrender thing, man, like that's been the biggest lesson for me. Like I literally just, just wrote yesterday, like, to let go because just having the understanding that the same forces that put the stars in place, the same forces that makes the sun rise and set is guiding you as well. And the truth is, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I mean, hardly anyone knows what the hell they're doing, right? I don't know what the fuck they're doing. Right? And it's just like, that's okay. That's fine. Just let go. And, you know, let go to the process, let go to life. And a lot of us feel we have to do something, be something like, act some way when there's no need for all of that it's just like whatever this journey is the short journey that it is just just let go to the flow of it and the more we let go the easier it is and the more we resist the harder it becomes yes and listen to your body Mm. i can't say this enough to people like you had alerts before didn't you i had so many alerts i had red flags i was wrapped in a red flag you know, and I kept ignoring it and I kept ignoring it and I kept making myself not a priority in my own life. 
Mm. And yes, I worked out three hours a day, but like that wasn't self-care at this point. That was an outlet. Yeah. And almost. Yeah, it was masochistic almost. Mm. Like I was using that as a crutch instead of dealing with my own stuff. And like, if you keep getting sick, if things keep showing up, if you are having issues that are continuously showing up, stop trying to fix that one issue and look at the whole system as a whole, like the whole situation as a whole. Your mind controls your body. I can say this from experience over and over again, from having shingles, going through COVID and having 13 rounds of shingles, because I'm still trying to control and I'm still trying to push back and I'm not like letting go of things. And I know better, you know, and I'm still, it's still like, this isn't like one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm fixed. I'm going to change my behavior. Like, no, this is like 40 years of, of toxic behavior embedded into my brain. And even my thought process, you know, how you think is how your, your body receives that. So like changing my neurological processes is like really difficult. Doesn't just happen overnight. Like this is hard work. It's layers but, and layers of deconditioning. So on. sorry. Yeah, but it's worth it. All of it's worth it. There are so many lessons in what you've said. I feel like people need to, I need to listen to this again. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours and just pick apart all of those beautiful things that you said but you know we'll, we'll, we'll stop it there maybe we'll have a, a continuation but do you mind i just want to take a moment to honor you for your story for the light that you're bringing to this world for the courage and speaking about everything you've gone through just so that others have hope just so others can can know that it's going to be okay with whatever trials and tribulations they're dealing with we're all we're all facing our demons and i'm sure it doesn't get easier to recite it so from the bottom of my heart i appreciate you i appreciate the work you're doing and, and thank you so much Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate this. Wow, guys, I'm sure you would agree with me in saying such a inspiring woman and such an amazing story. And I hope that really serves as hope for anyone that is going through and facing their own demons. I'm leaving all of um, Diamandia's information in the podcast notes. So if you want to reach out to her, feel free to. All my love.